This is the Village Counseling Podcast. My name is Hillary Evans, and I'm a clinical counselor. And with me today is Dr. Josh Cruz, pastor of counseling and registered psychologist. So the purpose of this podcast is to help foster a greater understanding of the topics that we discuss and give a few takeaways that will be helpful for your life. So today we're talking about true identity. Identity is big. Uh, There are so many ways of approaching that. And so one of the ways we're going to enter into that is looking at part of how God wired us. Uh, He he gave us brains uh, for us to then see things, think about things as meaning makers. Even this last weekend, then went out and I was out uh, on a paddleboard looking around and there were mountains and just slowing down a little bit to then say, this is incredible. This is beautiful. There was this calm, this peace, this almost grandeur of it. And again, got me reflecting a bit more of, wow, how did this get here? Who am I in light of this? Like, I don't have many moments like this. But I noticed my brain getting there. And we do that on the smaller scale things too of why did this happen? Why did they do that? How do I understand where I am in life and where I'm going? So we apply this to our identity. Like, who am I in this world? And generally, we're, we're curious about stuff. Like, there's so many different inventories you can do. Like, mm-hmm. and Myers-Briggs or Enneagram seems to be kind of hot right now. Have you done the Enneagram? Yeah, hot to say the least. It's been blowing up everywhere. There's Enneagram t-shirts, Enneagram conferences, you name it. I even heard uh, there was an artist who went through each of the Enneagram types and composed a song that would be most fitting, understandable, engaging with each type. Yeah. And people were like moved to tears, like it gets me, it knows me. Yeah, I can't lie. I was definitely one of those people. It was Sleeping at Last who did those those songs and they're so talented. But not only that, it, I think part of why things like the Enneagram have become so popular is that we are curious about you know, why do we operate the way that we operate? You know, is there a way that we can understand this? And when we're able to find some meaning in that, like you said, it connects to us. It's It moves us when it fits. And I think having a type, having a description, uh, it helps us. It creates these shortcuts. We're, we're not lazy thinkers. Actually, I think we're efficient thinkers. Um, I don't want to take in all the information of what's happening right here, right now, as we're sitting here, as we're talking, what have we talked about? What are we going to talk about? Like, it's it's just quick. We jump into these, we call them schemas or shortcuts. Mm-hmm. We do it in activities as well, like uh, learning to ride a bike. I can't think of foot on pedal goes in a circle. The other foot goes like, ah, I'm tired just even talking about it. But our brains just get into the rhythm of that. And, and like swimming is another thing too, uh, blowing bubbles, head underwater, this stroke, that stroke, and we build upon it. We learn to work with that. The same thing happens with our identity. We can create these shortcuts of who we are. Um, how are we operating in this world? We put these labels on ourselves. So, I mean, think about that as you're, as you're sitting there. Who are you? Like if you had to describe yourself in a sentence or two, what would you say? I remember in my grade 12 year, um, we had this big project for my outdoor education class, and it was called the Who Are You Project, the Identity Project. And all of us, when it was assigned, had this like momentary crisis of like, what on earth are we going to do? Who am I? Yeah, who am I? And, you know, I think that this is a big question because when we don't know how to answer that, like how disorienting. And yet when we feel as though we can answer that, there can be some comfort in that. You know, it can be beautiful, but it can also be painful if there's parts of our identity that, you know, shift or uh, maybe are taken from us. There's so much. It's so loaded. 
Yeah, and and so we grasp for some of these labels. We uh, they're either put on us. Mm-hmm. We grasp for them. Uh, it, it can be anything from who am I as as a man, as a woman, husband, a mother, father. For me, I've had different labels, or whether it's what does it mean that I'm a psychologist. A big one for me was when I came into being a pastor. Like, well, I've had a box for what represents a pastor. That's not me, but I technically am. And how much does that fit? What do I put on? And that becomes a component of identity. If I then wasn't a pastor, then who would I be? Would I lose myself? For a lot of people moving into retirement, all of a sudden they they lose their role or their vocation. Mm-hmm. And well, then who am I anymore? A big identity crisis then comes into play. Yeah, Josh, I have to ask, when you became a pastor, did you notice that there were like funny little things that you expected or thought you should then do or get to be a pastor? Like, was it like, I need new shoes, like (laughs) Pastor Mark's shoes, or I need to start talking like this? Or was there anything Mm. funny like that for you? So my role in particular, especially being pastor of counseling, a little less of the pastor as I had known it, Mm -hmm. usually preacher in that regard. Uh, I think I remember thinking, well, I need to get a nice looking Bible. Like I said, a little ratty, (laughs) torn thing that I carry around with me. But I need a nice looking Bible, like what you see on uh, when people are preaching. It's that nice balance of worn, but then classy in there too. Um, That was one of the practical things that I stepped into. But I think a big part is like I didn't feel like it fit as I understood being a pastor. And so I didn't embrace it as much. I actually wrestled with that a lot Mm. more so. Like what actually fits with what I know of myself and my role and my direction and what do I embrace in there too. I didn't spend many years intentionally trying to be a pastor to then form an identity towards it. I kind of stepped into it. Whereas as a psychologist, that was something that developed going through grad school. That one, I think I integrated a lot more. If I stopped being a psychologist, uh, I don't know if I'd have an identity crisis, but that'd be really tough. Like, so then who am I apart from that? Right. And isn't it interesting, hey, that there can be these smaller things about identity, like, okay, I need to get a new Bible. You know, I was about to make a joke about, you know, Bibles with handles. You know, did you ditch your Bible with handles? (laughs) Um, You know. Is that not cool? I don't know. I don't know. You could be the judge of that. But, you know, there's these smaller pieces of identity, like, you know, type of shoes, type of Bible, you know, that kind of thing. But then there's also these huge pieces about, like, where does this fit, you know, for me and the way that I understand myself? And so identity can be on this big spectrum. Yeah. And, and think of some of those labels. Like what would be in, in your box? Uh, funny, caring, passionate, damaged, unlovable, ugly, fat, stupid. Like there can be a whole range of labels that are then put mm-hmm. in there. And what what do you feel like fits for you? Like what do you own? What are things that are might be in that box? But I don't know if that actually fits for me. They can be powerful. And and it's important to then, we'll even scale back for a second, of how is identity formed in the beginning? Like mm-hmm. a big part of it is it's through the, the words, the actions, uh, even just the eyes, the expressions of the people who matter most in our life. Right. Like oftentimes we'll talk about so mom and dad or grandparents, extended family, teachers, coaches, uh, important people in our lives, the things they say, we're essentially building an identity. That box is then starting to be filled with these labels. And that can right. be a beautiful thing mm-hmm. when you're affirmed, when you're encouraged. But it can also be a really difficult thing when either something is done to you and the labels that are inferred from that, somebody, whether it's bullying, um, people are explicitly saying this about you. And I think we also need to recognize that there's a whole 
spiritual world that we're in. And and the enemy's got some some words for us too. And well, the father of lies is one of his big names, came to steal, kill, and destroy. And so one of the primary ways that he then throws messages in our in our identity box is shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and shame in its most basic form is I am fill in the blank. And it's, yeah, something then negative. It's, I am, I am worthless. Um, I am damaged. I am unlovable. Mm-hmm. And and we can hold some of these things. And the hard thing is if we start to see ourselves in that way, well, we don't put those things out into the light. We try to hide and protect those things. And the sad thing is then the enemy's there and and, and it can actually help perpetuate that or build that. And it starts to become a big part of not our true identity, but the identity that we hold, how we start seeing ourselves or even presenting ourselves in front of other people. And either we need to pretend that we're all good and have a good layer on the front so they don't see these shameful parts of us, or yeah, we just hide out from people and and we're not ever really seen or known by them. Yeah. And shame is a really interesting emotion, construct, whatever you want to call it. And I think that um, I've done a lot of research on shame because I'm fascinated by it. And something that's interesting about it is that there's some researchers argue that it's adaptive, meaning that it can help us. And I think that part of the way that they argue that is that it's kind of a protective mechanism in that it's almost like if we can keep track of all the negative things that people have said about us, then we can beat people to the punch, mm. you know? And so my encouragement to you is to, you know, in, this is even just a practical tip, is to take inventory of what are some of these labels that you have put as part of your identity and are there some of them that are derived from shame of kind of that, hey, I was called that as a kid and I've held on to that because if I if I can be the one to hold on to that, I can beat other people to the punch if they think that of me. Because, you know, as you said, Josh, shame, its main tendency is to make us to want to hide, to escape, to keep things secret. And we need to bring that out into the light. Well, and that's the, let's get really uh, practical building on that. Uh, we need to be seeking truth. Like, if we're going to have an identity if we're or to go with the box, we need to make sure that only things that are actually true are in that box. Yeah. So while it may have been adaptive for us to hold on, um, I was called this so many times so I wouldn't be shocked. That must be part of who I am. So if I hear yeah. it again, it hurts but doesn't hurt as bad. But what if that's not part of who you are? What exactly. if what if that doesn't actually fit? We need to be seeking truth and and going to sources of truth. And the primary source of truth is then God's word. So if he formed us, if he created us, he's got a few things to say about us. God doesn't make mistakes. So if you're listening to this, you have ears, you have a heartbeat, you are alive, you are then God's creation. And what the Bible says, and this is just, this is objective truth for all then mankind, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then if we then choose to accept uh, Jesus, we then become children of God. He, he is our father. We are then, the uh, Bible says we are chosen, we are beloved. He has plans for us. Like, pretty incredible. Uh, the same God of the universe that as I look out into the mountains and, wow, this is magnificent. Like, our pleasure matters to him. That says so much about who he is and who we are. He then is speaking to us through the truth in scripture. And we need to actually go to that. So, if we have things in the box that don't fit, like, you are unlovable. Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Scripture says that I'm beloved. One of those is wrong. 
And if we actually believe that the Bible is the true word of God and it's truth there, then our true identity is that we are beloved. So then I need to look at the ways in which I feel unlovable there. And I might have to process that through with somebody. Well, what were the messages that were given? What were the circumstances? And let's do some cleaning, some healing of that so it creates even more space for beloved to feel more true. And not just, okay, maybe I know it's true or a part of me does, but I can really own that. That is who I am. That's my identity. Yeah, yeah. And while, you know, it might be a protective measure to hold on to those things in the short term, it is so not in the long term, you know, to hold on to those beliefs that we may have picked up when we're younger or in the wrong places. I really appreciate how Bob Goff, he talks about um, who would you have around you on your deathbed? And it's kind of morbid, but I actually really appreciate it in the sense that he talks about, you know, no more than like seven people can fit around that thing. You know, there's not a huge amount of people who can fit around that thing. And who are those people and what would they have to say in the sense that there's so many people out there who are going to have their two cents about different things and might make conclusions about who you are, right? I even think about a lot of my clients, they get to see a part of me, but they don't get to see me at home. You know, they don't get to see me on the weekend, right? And so there's different people in my life who get to see different parts of me and who would be those, you know, five to seven to 10 people whose opinions I really think matter to me and who count? Um, and what would they say about me? What would they say? And, you know, as you've said, more importantly, what would God say about me? And, you know, I encourage you to that this kind of cleaning, this healing process of taking inventory of what the labels you've kept are and, you know, checking them, kind of doing a reality check to say, hey, is that still true? I don't know. You know, maybe I can check that one. That might be something that you invite one of those seven people into um, and, you know, invite the Lord into too. Like, what would you say? Is this something that I think about myself that nobody else does and I need to let go? Or is there something that I'm missing that's a beautiful part about me that I've just failed to identify? Like, oh, I'm a really good friend, for example. Maybe that's something that, you know, somebody can lose sight of and they need a little reminder that, no, that's a part of me. I I have that. I have that ability. Yeah, I had a cool opportunity in the last week uh, to hang out with uh, some, some great guys uh, that I'm friends with, and we slowed things down, um, had some fire time, and we're basically affirming each other. Uh, we went around speaking truth into each other's lives, and I noticed for myself just how how powerful that was, um, and for each of them too. Basically, we were putting pieces in that box, and for some people, uh, there were pieces that they knew were already in there, and it, it confirmed that and affirmed them in that. And for others, it's maybe hearing something in a new way, and it bumped up against, well, wait a minute, you said that uh, there's a wisdom there, but yeah, I feel like I don't really have anything to say. And well, what do I do with that? Um, and it starts to crowd out, and the more mm-hmm. you hear that— we have the opportunity to do that for other people. We can speak truth in life. We can encourage other people. We can uh, – spiritual gifting areas that we see in others to lovingly call that out. Like, hey, I've noticed you've got this gift in you. How powerful is that for them? And right. they get to have that message in. Whereas the world, history sometimes puts all those other messages. Can we be in truth filling other people's uh, boxes with 
true identity, who they really are under God. Mm-hmm. Um, because we need God, we need others in order to actually reclaim to have that true identity as God created us. And I think as a friend, as those people in somebody's life, we also have that opportunity to walk alongside people as identity might change and they might go through some pain with that. You know, you mentioned like when people retire, they might have a hard time because their identity shifts in big ways. There's so many ways where our identity shifts over time. I even think about like moms who all of a sudden are empty nesters, their kids move out and it's like, what? Like, who am I then? You know, and it's not as though their title as mom has been taken away, but you know, identity shifts and it can be really, really painful. I was joking with Josh before we even started recording about how sometimes people go so far as to, you know, put their identity labels in their Instagram bios. And I think it's both beautiful and also telling about why it's so painful when our identity changes, you know, in the sense that I love how um, our pastor, even, you know, um, Mark, he has in his in one of his bios, husband, father, pastor, in that order or something like that, about what he has as the most important to his identity. But it would go to show that if one of those changed, like, ouch, that would be so hard as it would for him, but for anybody. Yeah, a lot of readjusting and then figuring out who we are. What does this look like for me at this this age, this stage? And that's where loss, like loss of family members, loss of roles, uh, it's important to slow down, grieve some of those pieces to then reconnect with. So who am I? Uh, big picture under God, who is the core of who I am? And then who am I in this environment, in this setting with this person at this time? Yeah, there's so much more to you than your vocation, what mm-hmm. you're doing for work. We encourage you to go through that and, you know, maybe even today journal some of that down. If you need to, take it into a counselor, bring it to a friend. We'd love to see what you come up with. So thanks for joining us today. As always, we would love to hear your feedback and comments, questions. Um, you're welcome to email us at counseling at thisisvillagechurch.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.